So, in verse 19, Luke, as the narrator, tells us that Mary uh, treasured all of these things and pondered them in her heart. And uh, that sounds very sentimental. It's a nice idea. And he says that a couple of times, actually. And I think he, in saying that, he is not trying to paint a picture of Mary who is just kind of always really contemplative and uh, meditating on what's happening around her. Um, and that, that may be true, but I think what Luke here is actually communicating is one of his sources for his writing. He makes it very clear at the beginning of his gospel that he has, he has actually sourced material. And it turns out, and the time frames could actually line up, that he just talked to Mary, and that's where he got this information? Or Mary had then taken this and given it to somebody else, and then somebody talked to Luke. So what we're probably getting is, is a very personal perspective of everything that is happening here, uh, with one exception. If the story is being told roughly from Mary's point of view, the shepherds would be the exception because she wasn't there for that. But they then relayed that information to them. Uh, now, let me set the scene uh, because there, we've got to do a little bit of, I guess, myth-busting. And there's kind of a, a, a funny irony behind all this considering what I'm standing in front of. Uh, Jesus wasn't born in a cave. He wasn't born in a barn. And the reason I say that is because that's just right in the text. Um, it says, uh, I think it's Luke. It's in Luke chapter 2, but it's right before our reading. It says uh, that he was laid, Jesus was laid in a manger uh, because there was no room for them in the, in Greek, it's kataluma. And kataluma is used one other time by Luke to refer to the guest room or the upper room. It's actually the room, it, it's uh, the kind of room that Jesus and his disciples had their last supper in. So, you know, why do we say Jesus was born in a barn or a stable or something like that? Uh, it turns out that tradition can be traced back by about a thousand years, somewhere in the Middle Ages. Some monk, I don't know, got some weird idea. Monks got lots of weird ideas over time. But this one stuck, and it just endured. And so it's funny because the traditional telling of the Christmas story involves pieces of tradition that are just plainly not there. To a large extent, that's fine. I'm not going to be that, that, that guy who likes to ruin everybody's fun, uh, even though I just kind of did, but whatever. Um, and on the one hand, for all of our children's pageants, um, I think one of the reasons why this sticks is that the story otherwise is actually really mundane. It's a very normal birth story. Um, this is a culture, this first century Judea, um, and really even in a lot of places in the Middle East today, 
Hospitality is absolutely everything. Uh, and this will be emphasized more or less depending on kind of where you are. But it would have been uh, absolutely true for first century Judea. So Joseph and Mary, Mary, um, I think the King James says, great with child. Uh, I learned when my wife was pregnant, don't ever call a pregnant woman that, but whatever. Uh, and they make their way down to Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is not a large city, about a thousand people. Uh, around this time, as best we can tell through archaeology. So, by our standards, a tiny, tiny little village. And in little villages like that, one person's business, or excuse me, one person's business will likely be everybody's business, or many people's business. And it would be unheard of or unthinkable that an out-of-town couple where she is about to give birth, would be sent into a barn. We wouldn't even do that today. I mean, if somebody came to my house and there was a woman who was actively in labor and just for the sake of argument, uh, we couldn't call 911 or no hospital services were around, you know, just go with it for the moment. It would be ridiculous if I said, oh, I've got a shed in the back. You can go have your kid over there. No, 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 no. As, even if our culture, our culture today wouldn't even do that. So, what's much more likely is wherever Joseph landed, and ostensibly he has familial land, like land that belongs to his family, he's probably got at least second cousins there. And once they kind of figure out who he is, you know, they'll let him in, and they'd let him in anyway. And then when she starts going into labor, you send up the flag and all the, you know, the town midwives would come around, kick all the men out, and then the party would get started, so to speak. In other words, Jesus was born in just a very normal way. And he was laid in a manger because, I mean, just straight up, it's, it's right there in Greek, and English translations fuzz it a little bit. Um, but apparently that room was just really small. And uh, in Bethlehem, you bring your animals in at night so they didn't wander or, or get stolen. And we actually have like mangers cut into the stone ground uh, so that you could at least feed your animals and they wouldn't wake you up at night like my cat does. So Jesus is just there. It, this is, I mean, it's, it's, it's a weird story by modern standards. Very ordinary story uh, by ancient standards. Until you get to the shepherds, and then things, things take off. So imagine you're watching a movie, and you see you know, Mary, she's given birth, they're either holding Jesus, or he's resting in the manger while she starts to try to recover, and then it's kind of like a meanwhile cut scene to something else. You've got shepherds. Uh, again, a little bit of myth-busting. There's no real hard evidence that shepherds were considered outcasts at this time. And in fact, uh, the history of Israel is the history of a community of shepherds. That's what they did. Uh, they weren't great farmers. They weren't artisans or artists. They kept flocks of sheep and goats primarily. So you have these shepherds, however, who are kind of removed from Bethlehem um, 
and every, all the action is happening at Bethlehem, and you would imagine that there's a fair number of people knowing what's going on. And then for whatever reason, and, and I can't give you a good answer as to why the shepherds, but the heavens open up. And the shepherds don't see like a chorus of angels. It's a host. That's an army. This is a scary thing. Uh, during these midweek services, we're focusing on the aspect of visiting or visitors. And Gabriel, as you recall, the first thing out of his mouth, assuming he has a mouth, uh, to the people he visits is, don't, don't freak out, don't be afraid. And I think the shepherds would have every reason to respond in the same way. But they get word that God is, he has done something. And there's enough echoes there of, of hope and expectation that, that would have been reverberating through the hearts and minds of the Jewish people at that time. That it'd be pretty clear that God has finally sent the one that, he, that we've all been waiting for. But they're the outsiders. They're not in on the action in the moment. But they can't contain themselves. They have to get over to Bethlehem. Uh, furthering the argument um, that Jesus was born in a very normal way, Imagine that the shepherds arrived. They've been working all night. So they're not, maybe not in a good mood. This is just my own private imagination. Uh, but they want to see what is going on because obviously God has done something very important. And they go to you know, this location and they say, well, where... Where, where is the king? Where's the one who's born? Where, we just heard angels and all of that. And the owner of the house said, oh yeah, she's out in the barn. The, uh, the, the now late scholar, New Testament scholar, Ken Bailey said, the shepherds would have beaten him and run, about, run him out of town. And that idea is, um, it's been kicking around in my head. I'm assuming most of us have ha either ha had children or we've known people who have who've given birth, people who have been close to us. And that first visit is always really exciting, isn't it? You go and you said, you know, it's sometimes it's like it's, it's often in the hospital and it's kind of one of the things I get to do is go visit, you know, new young parents who are just like, blurry-eyed and they have no idea what they're getting themselves into <laughs> and, and you get to encourage them saying just FYI it gets so much worse uh, <laughs> because it does <clears throat> and you want to see the baby that's priority number one or is it because when you go what do you really I mean, yeah, I want to see the baby, and this could be just because I'm a guy, but I want to check on mom and dad. How you doing? Um, that's a... Uh, giving birth is a full contact sport. <laughs> How you feeling? Do you need anything? Um, often... 
whether you want to or not, you'll hear the birth story. <laughs> uh, you'll hear about what went wrong and what went right. Um, then you also learn if mom and dad are oversharers or not. <laughs> but when you make that visit, as a visitor, as somebody who is outside of the situation and then entering that situation, really, you just want to make sure everyone's okay. And then if they are, then you can... It, it, you, just feel a little more settled and you can hold the baby or do whatever you want. I wonder if that's where the, why the shepherds are showing up. I mean, obviously there's a spectacle. God has done something big. And, and who wouldn't want to see that? But at the same time, we should not think for a moment that Mary didn't need help or didn't need to be checked in on. Um, the, the kids' cartoons, movies, and thankfully my son is too old for those now, but they'll, they'll, sh they'll show Mary and she'll say, it's time, and then there's a flash of light and then she's holding a baby. And everyone who's been in on that situation goes, that's not how that works, like at all. And it's hard to overstate the vulnerability of the situation Jesus, Mary, and Joseph are in right now. He's laying there in what was a feeding trough. Now it's, you know, a bassinet or whatever they're called. Um, Mary's physically recovering from quite the experience. Joseph is hopefully keeping his mouth shut about how he feels. <laughs> and I think, like, you have a bunch of guys who are out working in the field to come and visit this, this, the Holy Family, and uh, I think it's not beyond reason to say that they're here to just check in. Which highlights as I said, the vulnerability of Jesus entering into creation. Of being born within a culture, within a society, at a certain slice of time when infant mortality was extremely high. Uh, the mortality of mothers in the birthing process was likewise extremely high, and sometimes that was correlated. Entering into a world without a real good understanding of what makes clean water versus dirty water, uh, where very minor infections can become lethal, um, born under Herod the Great, who was known for being violent, so violent that he actually ordered the death of his own son. And then under Caesar Augustus, who was able to establish peace in the Roman Empire by killing lots of people. That's, that's vulnerable. That is being born in a society and in a world that by and large does not take life as seriously as we might today. 
It's risk. And uh, <clears throat> I'll, excuse me. <clears throat> I'll kind of end with this observation here. Um, if, uh, if you're old enough, and I gather we all are here, we know that you cannot love somebody without risk. You cannot love somebody without vulnerability. Because if you take away the risk, you take away the, the sense of vulnerability, what you have is not love. It's just not. It's something else. And so the lesson for today, as these visitors come and see what's going on and see a family just trying to kind of make it to the next moment in, in the, the wake of having given birth, what we're seeing is love in a very personified way. Love taking on flesh. Love entering into creation, taking on that risk, taking on that vulnerability. So that one day, that same person can take on our mortality, our sin, and our death. Amen.